0: Hello and welcome to the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories podcast, your home for Irish folklore, mythology and all things storytelling.
1: Yes, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. It's me, Cece, and today I am joined by the lovely... Lenny, hello everyone. Yeah, and today we're going to be talking about the reign of Bress, uh, from the lovely Nisha.
0: Yes, Bress, the beautiful...
1: Oh, quite like you. Thanks, you're
0: very good. I appreciate that.
1: <laughs> so how are you keeping, Lenny? What's going on for you? Oh, uh, the crack is 90. The crack's 90. The weather's getting better. It is, it is. I
0: feel hydrated Dwarf. and I feel ready for the summer. <laughs> They're all lies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, God. How are you, C? Any crack? I'm good, I'm good. I'm excited to get into this story now because Brest is one of those characters that... I can't
0: help but love help, uh, hating him. Hating him? I quite like him.
1: Really? I like
0: anyone who's causing ructions in any way, form, within a story. Oh,
1: that explains your explains so much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but he is one of those really interesting characters that just pops up in different parts of our mythology.
0: Yeah, and linked to so many uh, really important figureheads within our mythology as well, which you'll see now when you yeah. listen to the story.
1: Well, I mean, since we're both so eager to talk about the story, there's no point wasting time, is there?
0: No, so we're going to let you listen to the story now, guys, Uh, Breast the Beautiful, and it's told in a very, very lovely way by uh, Nisha, one of our great storytellers here at the museum, and then me and be back, and we'll have a chat with you about uh, our main thoughts and uh, feelings towards said story. So enjoy.
2: Our story begins when the Tuatha Dé Danann first arrived in Ireland. It was said that they came shrouded in a mist, so thick that it blotted out the sun, turning the sky black for three days and three nights, and when that mist finally parted, the Tuatha Dé Danann were standing in the plain of Moitura. They fought with the current inhabitants of the island, the Firbalg, and defeated them in battle, but they paid a heavy price, for their high king, Nuada had lost his arm in the battle. And according to their traditions, nobody could be king if he was not physically perfect. Missing the arm meant that he was far from perfect, so Nuada had to step down from the office. And back then, they elected their kings. So they declared a vote for their new king, and possibly in celebration of their arrival in Ireland, they declared women's suffrage and gave every woman of the Tuada Danon a vote. And they recalled women's suffrage after that election, and would not return to Ireland for roughly 3,815 years. Probably because they knew that all the women had universally voted for one man. Bress. The Beautiful. And I think we know why they voted for him. Honestly, I don't blame them. He was gorgeous. His face would put the average K-pop star to shame. He had the physique of the average Love Island contestant. Oh, and quite like the average Love Island contestant, very unsuitable for the job of king. You see, the king was meant to be kind and generous, and yet when people went to visit Brest at the hill of Tara, they'd leave with their stomachs empty and their breaths not stinking of ale. You were meant to keep the wealth of the people safe for them. Instead, Breast gave it away to their greatest enemies, the Foimera undersea demons, some tall like giants, some hideously deformed, some stunningly beautiful. They had lived on islands surrounding Ireland for centuries, and under Bress's rule, to keep them from attacking the country, he gave them two-thirds of Ireland's milk, two-thirds of Ireland's grain, and two-thirds of Ireland's cows every single year. And why wouldn't he? They were family. You see, his mother was Eru of the Tuatha De Danann, who gave her name to the land of Ireland. With his father was of the Fomara, Alaha, the Golden, and boy did he live up to his name. When Eru had met Alaha, he was sailing towards the shore while she sat on the beach, staring out to sea. That's when she spied his beautiful golden boat. Upon each finger was a golden ring. About his neck hung a golden torque. Even on his breast shone a golden chestplate. And his hair flowed down his shoulders like a river of gold his piercing blue eyes were of the deepest blue and those eyes seemed to peer into Eru's very soul as he slowly approached the shore and walked up to her he then spoke the sweetest words that she had ever heard in her life shall we lie together for an hour which was pretty much Czech and mace in ancient Irish flirting, she was his. They spent a pleasant hour together, and from that union, they produced Bress, the beautiful. But unfortunately, Bress, despite being very, very beautiful, did not last long as king. The people of Arden grew more and more disgruntled with him until he made the biggest mistake of all, mistreating one of the poets. Quite frankly, folks, you don't do that. Back then, poetry was practically magic. If you spoke a particularly vicious satire against someone, their faces would break out in physical blotches. So when the poet Kerper went to visit Tara, he should have treated him well, giving him the best room in the house. Instead, he sent Kerpra out to a dark room. There were no windows, there was barely a bed on the floor, and even for food, he only had a crust of mouldy blood and a glass of stale water. When he left Tara, he spoke the most vicious satire that has ever been spoken in this land. And Bursa's face broke out in blotches, and from that day on, his rule was nothing but ruin. Eventually, he was driven from Ireland, and he did the only sensible, logical thing, and went crying home to his father. He told Alaha everything. How he had become king of the entire country and then lost it all only through his own selfish greed. He begged Allah to give him an army to help him regain the throne. And Allah said the most devastating words that a young boy can ever hear from their father. I'm not angry. I am just disappointed. Or to quote more literally... What you have lost from injustice should not be regained through further injustice, and therefore I will not help you. But rather than abandon his son entirely, he did send him to two people who would help. His own high king, Injeh, and the living siege engine, Balor of the Evil Eye, named for the massive eye in his head so large that it required six men armed with chains to open it and anything that I gazed upon would wither and die. These two had longed for an opportunity to invade Ireland, and Bress gave them their chance. Under the guise of returning the rightful king to the throne, they assembled the largest invasion force Ireland had ever seen, and they landed in the north of the island. As the two of the Danon met in a panic to fight against the Foymera, they decided they would chant spells against them, causing fire to rain down from the heavens. They would use their magic to take the courage for battle out of their enemies' hearts. And in my favourite curse of all time, they would bind the pea to their enemies' bladders, forcing them, and their horses, to fight with a desperate urge to urinate. And already with the odds stacked in their favour, somebody else showed up with the Hillotara. You see, they were a little bit worried about Balor. They knew, even if they were outnumbered ten to one by the Fuimara, they could easily win. But they knew no one could slay Balor of the Evil Eye, for there was a prophecy that he could only be killed by his own grandson, who very conveniently showed up at the Hill of Tara right at that moment. He was Lu of the Long Arm. His mother was Balor's only daughter, and his father was Cian, son of the physician of the gods Giankecht. With his help, they met the Foimera on the plain of Moitura for a battle, and it was an epic fight. It was said that fire was raining down, that no of them had the courage to fight, and all of them were desperately needing to pay. And that's when Balor was wheeled out, as he began to open his baleful eye like a flash of lightning, loo of the long arm left out of nowhere. He raised up a spear of sharpened light and cast it right through Balor's eye, tearing it out the back of his head, causing it to gaze upon his own army. As they fell to the ground, dead, unwilling to fight. The two-a-day declared victory as they scoured the battlefield for survivors. Guess who Lou should find cowering under a heap of corpses? Bress the Beautiful. He begged Lou for his life, offering to teach the 2 a day anything they wanted to know. He even offered to teach them how to grow crops throughout the entire year, but Lou refused. He felt this would be unnatural, and said that something less would grant Bress his life. He merely wanted to know the proper time of year, to plough the land, to plant the seeds, and to bring in the harvest. Bress taught him, and with this agricultural information, they decided to spare his life. But not for long. No one ever really forgot what Bress had done, and Lou just couldn't let it go. So a couple of years after his defeat on the plain of Moichura, Bress was summoned to Lou's house. You see, Bress had a gesh, a magical compulsion. If he was ever offered a drink, he had to accept. To refuse could mean his death. And Lou knew this. He had gone to a bog and gathered up red bog water, deadly poison. He had then put this bog water into the body of a wooden cow. He had milked the teeth of this wooden cow, filling up a goblet of bright red bog water, which seemed a bit extravagant since Bress wasn't even there for this moment. And when Bress came to his house, he handed out the poison chalice and asked if Bress would like a drink. Bress knew right away that he was done. He could not break his guest and therefore proudly he stepped forward. He gripped the goblet firmly in his hand and stared Lou right in the eye as he drained every last drop. He fell to the floor, his body twitching, convulsing, till eventually it stopped moving. Leaving behind an incredibly beautiful corpse. And so, that is the end of the reign of press, the beautiful.
1: Well, that was a bit of a wild ride, Lenny, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, the, it's, it's quite an unusual story in one regard, and then in an opposite regard... It, it's quite standard of a mythological story in yeah. regard to the themes and tropes that
1: you see throughout. What was standing out there to you? Well, I love the role of spoken word in mm-hmm. Irish folklore. So I love when there's anything like a gesh or a satire poem. And I love the laws that were around poets at the time because they were very highly regarded oh, yeah. in Irish society. um, Like you never wanted to upset a poet in your area. Hence why when Bress was having the poet over. It was such a big deal that he treated him so horribly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's it's a it's a kind of ongoing theme or trope that you don't just see um within like a mythological story a thousand, two thousand years old. It, it to me it's quite Shakespearean, you know, you look at yeah. the likes of King Lear, the fool is the only one allowed to say what everybody's really thinking, to Absolutely. insult the fool, to to insult the clown. Uh, meant a demise you know a rejection from society uh, that's kind of the the main thing that I really really like about. it well apart from what we'll get onto which I think you know yeah. but um, <laughs> it, it's really a story of uh, the hero falling from grace you know Brez trying to get that redemption from the peers and the people around him mm. and you know failing in his struggle in order to do so and it's mm. something that we see a, a, a lot within Irish mythology is a person make a bad choice yeah. and now you are left to deal with the uh the kind of bits and pieces that is left after yeah. you've made that choice.
1: I have to say I loved the way that Nisha described Bress's death. Yeah. 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 I thought it was very haunting just the the trembling, the jolting kind of image that it created. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean my personal, uh, what's your fav- what would be your favourite death, actually, in mythology, if you could think of one? Oh, God.
1: I think it would be the same as what I think you're about to say, Queen Maeve. Yes! Yes! yes. <laughs> the block
0: of cheese,
1: absolutely. If there's one way to go, to be fair...
0: I think this is a really good story as well if you wanted a flavour of an introduction to Irish folklore you're dealing with Aru, you're dealing with Brez, you're also dealing with Balor of the Evil Eye and mm. then you're of course dealing with my favourite which is Lou of the Longhand uh, the yeah. Irish God of Light, the God of the Sun uh, which is probably my favourite Story of all time, and I love the description that Nisha gives of the eye. The eye falls out, and the eye is said to to look upon the army. You can go and visit where the eye is as well. Yeah, it's in uh, the lake of the eye up in Sligo, which is somewhere I've always wanted to go. But um, I don't want to get off topic because I don't want to talk too much about Lou. But um, yeah, that would be that would be for me. I think the the hero fallen from grace, struggling to then intrigue go back into society then and being unable to do so. Mm. But I think actually something we've missed and it's uh, something a lot of people don't know is the element within the two de Danon of the role that beauty plays within a story.
1: Absolutely. And how
0: beauty in this is really a character in and of itself of the story, mm. of how important the role of uh, being without blemish or without scar yeah. would play. And, and it, you
1: see that so much in our Breton laws as well. And this is what I was going to say. Yeah.
0: yeah, Not just within, you know, a, a mythological sense, but you see it within Irish history.
1: Exactly.
0: You know, and that that is really, really prevalent. Uh, yeah, yes, in folk tales as well. But it it's of major importance within um within Irish uh, the structure of Irish kings within mythology. Yeah. Of how to keep that power, and then you see as well, you know. Um, various kings uh, throughout the history of Irish mythology who who might have been born, let's say, um, not up to the standard of the gods, yeah. you know? And a lot of the time it, it's where we get stories of perhaps changelings or stories of, yeah. uh, y- you know, various uh, King Abertoch and the likes of those. Mm. But um, yeah, that, that would be kind of the two main things, the beauty and the fall from grace, I think, is what stands out to me there. Just to continue on there, Um, I think as well what you have within this story, and I find this within folktales, I'd say you find it as well, there is always for the person who's in action, your your main protagonist, your main character, the dilemma in which they find themselves in normally leads to a, a, a moral understanding or a moral meaning that they have to learn something. Yeah through their action of of their faults or the mm. mistakes that they make. And yeah. I think that's a Breast is a very good example of that.
1: Absolutely. And you can even see at the end, he knows that there's no redemption. Yeah. He just takes the chalice and chugs it down. He knows that his end has come.
0: Which again I think is unusual because normally you have this kind of um idea or you know a stance of we must fight till the end the bitter end in most of the stories and the fact yeah. that there's an acceptance i think makes breast quite an unusual character in that way
1: yeah yeah i do love how they blame it on the fact that women could vote yeah breast got well, into power. Th- well
0: that that's the problem with everything you know <laughs> women oh being able to <laughs> me being able to vote you know it's just uh yeah and what cc is is saying there in in the women being able to vote it is um often comes back to the blame of a woman in the story a woman's needs what the woman has done you know Mm. but uh this is the story of of high kings and the decisions of men and uh you know
1: the only thing that goes wrong is blamed yeah exactly
0: (laughs) I love that, I love that. But listen, we're going to love you and leave you guys and we hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did and we'll be back soon enough with uh, another story here on the Museums Podcast. So it's a goodbye from me,
1: from Lenny. And it's a goodbye from myself as well. Sláon! Sláon
0: Thank you for joining us for another episode of the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories podcast. Remember, the best way to support us is by liking, subscribing and sharing with a friend.